Chapter 17 of the Outdoor Girls of Foaming Falls. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by John Brandon. The Outdoor Girls of Foaming Falls by Laura Lee Hope. Baying the Moon. Again, Molly heard the sound that had awakened her. With a swift sensation of relief, she realized that it came from without the house. Dogs were baying and barking in several different keys, the baying of hounds, short yapping howls of terriers, the deeper bass of larger, fiercer dogs. For a time halfway between sleeping and waking, Molly listened to the weird noise, not comprehending, half believing that she was still asleep and this was part of her dream. Gradually she came to full consciousness, and with a sudden movement sat upright in her bed. The full moon, brilliant above the trees, shone full on her, bathing her in a weird radiance. Listening to the baying of the dogs with the moonlight streaming over her, she was seized with a sudden chill of terror. She glanced swiftly toward the door, Nothing there, not even a shadow. In its gaunt dreariness, the room stood all revealed. Molly slithered down under the sheet again and wondered, as she shivered, whether she ought not pull up the blanket as well. It isn't that kind of a chill, Molly, and you know it, she said, trying to scold herself out of such foolishness. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. The scolding did no good whatever. She continued to shiver. The moonlight filled her with a sort of weird terror, and the baying of those dogs. Molly got up quickly, went over to the window, and pulled down the shade with a jerk. She had not meant to pull it down so hard. The next moment the roller followed. The shade dropped on her head with a thud and clattered to the floor with a racket. Instantly the other girls were awake and crying out in alarm. Good gracious! There's a ghost! Where? Where? Oh, let me get out of this. Where did I put my bedroom slippers? Molly sank down on the edge of the bed and began to laugh, quietly at first, then with an abandon that shook the bed and brought Irene to her feet in an excited bounce. Whatever is the matter? Molly Billet. Amy, Grace, and Stella were standing in the doorway that separated the two rooms, staring at the spectacle of Molly holding on to her sides and half hysterical with mirth. What ails the child? Has she gone crazy? Oh, it's you who are gone crazy, Molly gasped. There's your ghost, pointing to the fallen shade. Take a good look and may the hair rise on your head. May some sense come into yours, returned Grace grumpily. She hated to be roused from sleep, and she hated still worse to be frightened by nothing at all. Haven't you any more sense than to pull shades down in the middle of the night, Molly Billette? It was the moonlight shining in the window, Molly explained, partially recovering her composure. I couldn't sleep. 
There is a glorious moon, said Amy, going over to the window. But listen to those dogs, said Stella. They evidently don't agree with you, Amy. Gracious, what a noise they make. Does sound weird, said Grace, as all clustered close to the open window. Wonder where they all came from. Makes you kind of scary about venturing into the woods around here, said Irene. But let's get back to bed, she added with a yawn. I was having a perfectly gorgeous time when Molly pulled down the shade. Someone will have to help me fix it again, said Molly, winding up the shade on its creaking roller. I can't sleep with that moonlight slithering over me. Does moonlight slither? giggled Irene. But despite her mockery, she was the first to get the shade readjusted in satisfactory fashion and pulled down so as to obscure the too brilliant moonlight. The girls tumbled into bed again and were soon asleep, all except Molly, who lay awake for some time, listening to the barking of the dogs. It's the most mysterious thing, where they all come from, she said, and at the end of the sentence herself slipped off into dreamland. With the coming of morning and bright sunshine, much of the superstitious fear that had beset the outdoor girls on the previous night disappeared. They set to work after breakfast to pump water enough for the dishes. They took their turn at the old pump and soon became almost expert in manipulating it. They found, too, that the oil stove was not so old and useless as it looked. On the contrary, once the tank was filled, the flames under its three burners burned with a cheerful blueness and set the kettle to boiling in a few moments. It is amazing how far a kettle of hot water can go toward making a cheerless, disorderly place neat and cheerful. It was not long before the dusty, musty kitchen of the day before became sweet-smelling and pleasant. Now for the hall and upstairs, cried Molly gaily as she hung up her dishcloth. We'll get all those cobwebs out and sweep and air the place before noon, or my name isn't Molly Bellette. But Molly, the blue sky calls, and the water urgently invites us to a dip. Grace reminded her plaintively, Must we all do this hard labor in one day? And that our first in this glorious spot? I suppose it'll take us several days to get the place really clean, responded Molly practically. And of course we won't try to do it all at once. Just the same, a couple of hours. If we all work together, ought to accomplish wonders. Molly was right. With the prospect of a hike in the woods and a possible dip in the river later in the day, the outdoor girls set to work with a will, and it was not long before the house began to take on an air of occupation. They made beds, swept and dusted, cleaned out the cupboards, and put the few clothes they had brought with them carefully away. They paid little attention to the part of the house they were not going to occupy, leaving that, as Stella said, for a rainy day, when they had nothing better to do. By tacit consent, they all avoided the closed door leading to the parlor. Though the house had certainly lost a good deal of its terror for them, 
they still were uneasily superstitious about that rocking chair. None of them but what knew that the easiest and most sensible thing to do would be to go into that room immediately, fortified by the bright sunshine, and have a good stern look at the rocking chair, bearing it out to the woods behind the house if necessary, and breaking it into small bits, or reducing it to cinders by means of a bonfire. Either method of destruction would have done equally well, since the main object was to prevent that particular rocking chair from ever rocking again. However, though they acknowledged the sensible course, they failed to take it. Each one gave to herself a different excuse. It was too good a day to waste. They were too busy. Or to quote Stella again, they could save that part of the house cleaning, along with the rest of it, until that rainy day in the future, when so much might be accomplished. Molly even went so far as to turn the key surreptitiously in the lock, thereafter dropping the key in her pocket. It was silly, of course. But somehow one did feel safer when things like that rocking chair were behind lock and key. Molly privately decided that she would have a reckoning with the chair on the morrow and wondered at the same moment whether she would really have the courage to do so. After all, perhaps the best way of combating that superstitious nonsense was by ignoring it. At any rate, as soon as the house was in order, the outdoor girls got into their hiking suits and went out. The glimpse which they had had of the river and the surrounding country on the evening before carried out its promise of beauty to the full upon closer acquaintance. Foaming River was situated in a valley with the wooded and picturesque hills rising on either side of it. The outdoor girls wandered idly about for a while, drinking in the beauty of the woods. They found several little mountain springs and paused to drink, and finally stumbled over one of the prettiest and most picturesque little brooks they had ever seen. Here they stopped and returned to childhood long enough to take off shoes and stockings and paddle in the delicious depths of it. They stayed for a long time, and would probably have stayed longer, had not the pangs of hunger urged them back toward the house. Let's follow the river, Grace suggested. See, there it is, shining through the trees, and if we keep close to it, there's no chance of our getting lost. Hmm, as if there were any chance of that anyway, retorted Millie. However, Grace's suggestion was followed. The girls had had enough of the woods for the time being, and the river called to them. It was farther to the river than they had thought at first. But when they stepped out upon its bank, all gave an involuntary cry of delight. The bank at that spot was high. Two great rocks jutted out over the swirling water, and in the distance shone and sparkled the waters of the waterfall. Oh, perfect, cried Grace, and dashed out along the rock. She was not prepared for the damp and slippery footing it offered. She slipped, tried to recover her balance, and fell with a cry of fright. 
over the edge of the rock. End of chapter 17